0: Hey, everybody, welcome back on the BlockWorks Macro YouTube channel. And this is our weekly digest video format of my free article on the newsletter, The Macro Compass. This week, we go through the Fed meeting and what I call a pivot from hawkish to more hawkish, not exactly the pivot that investor were, investors were looking for. And um, I, I should say that there, through the use of three unambiguous punchlines, Chairman Powell made sure to convey one clear message. They will get it done, whatever it takes. Now, investors came into the meeting with a complacent attitude, and the initial press release actually seemed to back the idea of a dovish pause. But then, as soon as Powell started speaking, things abruptly changed. And uh, we came back to the old reality that this is not the time to reload on risk assets yet. Now, guys... As soon as Powell started speaking, he threw three major bombs uh, through three major punchlines, basically, that inequivocally signaled to investors that, yes, there was a pivot, but not the one they were looking for. So let's go through these three uh, punchlines. The first one was, it's very premature to think about a pause in our interest rate hiking cycle. Now, after the press release, um, before the press conference. Rates were rallying, the dollar was weakening, equities were zooming higher, everything that the Fed doesn't want in terms of easing financial conditions that doesn't help them in their inflation fight. Powell must have been pretty pissed by that. He took the very first opportunity in the Q&A session to completely dispel the idea of a dovish pause in the Fed hiking cycle. Now, let's let's step back for a second and let's think of the fact that the Fed is setting policy looking basically at two things, core inflation and the labor market. Those are coincident or even lagging indicators of economic growth, which means effectively the Fed is driving the car, not looking in front, but rather looking in the rearview mirror. Now, my mentor, when I was trading, often said investors that are trading based on what the central bank should do, in their opinion, will never perform well. It's not about what the Fed should do. It's about what the Fed will do. And so as the labor market remains pretty strong and core PCE, the inflation uh, measure the Fed prefers, is trending at 5% annualized rates, 5%, there is no evidence at all that would support a data-driven Fed pause, let alone a pivot. Again, it's not about what the Fed should do, but it's what they will do, given they're setting their monetary policy, looking at uh, the rearview mirror. Now, if you can check for yourself in this chart how... The bond market reacted to um, the press conference and especially to this very first statement that is very premature to think about the Fed uh, pause, let alone a pivot. The terminal Fed funds rate is now being convincingly priced above 5%. Remember, terminal Fed funds are the highest point being priced by bond markets at which the Fed funds will be. Um, in this hiking cycle, the highest point. Now, um, this used to be uh, below 5% uh, during the press release, and as soon as Powell spoke, it breached 5% on the way up and never looked back. Now, a more aggressive Fed in the short term is also likely to cause more long-lasting economic damage in the long term, and that is reflected by flattening yield curves and even inverting yield curves. And wherever you look at, at whatever yield curve you look at, they've been thoroughly inverting since March, April this year. Now, uh, to show there is no room for nuances at all, Powell even cherry picks his very special curve slope. It's gaslighting at its best. He's attempting to dismiss the evident and persistent curve inversions as a reason to slow down. But if you actually chart this very cherry-picked um, Powell preferred yield curve slope, which is the 18-month forward three-month rate minus the three-month rate, sounds all very complicated. But look at this chart. I mean, this this uh, ratio was 225 basis point in February, and it is now 14 basis point. Yes, it might not be inverted, but it's about to invert soon as well. So, this goes to show us: Powell will take basically no criticism and no uh, he will hear no reason for the Fed to uh, pause the hiking cycle, as he thinks it's very premature to even think about that. This was the very first strong punchline. The second one is that it's higher for longer. And he wants to stress this point out when he says the incoming data since our last meeting suggests that the terminal Fed funds rate will be higher than previously expected, and we will stay the course and keep at it until the job is done. Because the other pivot dimension that investors were looking for was for a remark of financial stability risks that could arise by keeping rates at five percent for too long, and basically a step back for, from this higher for longer mantra. They just got the opposite. Every time you hear Paolo saying "keeping at it," we will keep at it, there is actually a subtle reason for that. Uh, his hero uh, or reference hero in this monetary uh, in this inflation fight is Paul Volcker. And Paul Volcker wrote one of his last books, uh, which is called Keeping At So the fact that Powell is continuously referencing these words, I find that very interesting. The chart below looks at how the bond market digested the higher for longer mantra repeated all over again, because the Fed was not only reprised to high rates above 5%, but also to keep them at that level, at least for another six months, which means basically try to picture that Fed funds above 5% for the entirety of 2023. You can see the orange line in the chart that depicts the market implied Fed funds after the FOMC meeting. And you can see that red circle that signals 5% rates all the way uh, almost 14 months from today, which means all the way until the end of 2023. It's going to be higher rates for longer. The other interesting thing was that when a journalist asked Powell about the markets that were rallying, although they weren't during this press conference, Powell's reaction was also unambiguously along the same lines, strong pushback against the preemptive easing of financial conditions, which is undesirable, given the Fed is trying to bring down inflation to 2% as possible. So Powell made sure to tell you it's going to be higher for longer and repeated and stressed this second punchline. And the third punchline was about risk management. I found this one to be the most relevant one And he said, prudent risk management at this stage suggests that the risks of doing too little are much higher than doing too much when fighting inflation. Because if we were to over-tighten, the Fed could always use their tool later on to support the economy. But if the Fed were to do too little, they would risk inflation getting entrenched. And that's a much greater risk for the economy and for the Fed mandate. Again, inspired by his hero, Volcker, Powell understands that the mistake, the initial mistake Volcker made in the seventies was to basically doing too little at the beginning and relaxing too early when fighting inflation. And later on, he was forced to tighten even more aggressively to bring inflation down once and for all. Powell wants to go down as somebody who successfully slayed the inflation dragon. He's been so wrong so far that now he feels he cannot make any mistake anymore, let alone mistake of relaxing too early. And in order to, to do that, he must regain credibility with markets in the first place. That's why I built what I call the Powell Credibility Indicator. It looks at where, according to markets, Fed funds will be in a year from now and where inflation will be in a year from now. And if uh Powell is um, thought as serious, credible as fighting inflation from markets. What will happen is that markets will price nominal Fed funds in a year to be above the level of inflation in one year. So if you look at forward inflation-adjusted Fed funds, those should be comfortably in positive territory if Powell is um, deemed to be credible by markets. And look at that chart. The Powell credibility indicator just made you highs. it's not only positive signaling that the real Fed funds will be positive in a year from now, but it's almost at 2%. So the market is believing that Powell will force Fed funds rate 2% above inflation rates in a year from now. Another way to look at it is through the lens of the US real yield curve. Now think about it, Powell always said he wants real yields to be positive across the curve. And why? Because that means that borrowers will experience tight financing conditions, positive real rates across the board. They will be reluctant to access credit and to leverage, which means a more likely economic slowdown and later on inflation also being more contained. Look at the real yield curve. Six months ago, when Powell... Tried to convey the same message, but the market wasn't believing it. The dotted curve, it's still all negative. It's the real yield curve six months ago. Only inching a little bit positive seven years down the road. Instead, today, the real yield curve is positive across the entire tenors, and it's on the 2% area across the entire curve. Powell really likes this, wants to keep it this way, and we should not fight the Fed on this. Now, after these three punchlines being summarized and to repeat again, the first punchline was it's very premature to think about a pause in our interest rate cycle. The second is it's going to be higher for longer. The Fed will stay the course and keep at it until the job is done. And the third is that risk management now says that over-tightening, the risks of doing too much are actually much lower than the risks of doing too little because doing too little when fighting inflation risks inflation getting entrenched. It's a much greater risk for for the Fed because later on, they would have to do even more. So risk management is the third pillar. Powell, with these three strong punchlines, sent a very, very clear signal to market. And it's time now to look at market implications, also taking into account US monetary plumbing. So let's go into it. There was a pivot from hawkish to more hawkish, basically. Think about this more rockish pivot on the backdrop of what's happening in the monetary plumbing arena. Now, let's talk about that for a second. If you're an investor today in the US, you can get over 4% returns by parking money in short-term treasuries or taking your money away from banks, buying T-bills, or allocating into a money market fund. At a bank today, you still get almost nothing for your bank deposit. But if you buy a T-bill, you get 4.5%. If you allocate into a money market fund, you get 4%. Now, it's true that T-bills and money market funds are not as liquid as a bank deposit, but look at the pros. We talked about the massive additional return. Look at the chart, it's from a couple of months ago. This sister between the return on a bank deposit and the return on a treasury or on a money market fund is really getting extreme. So you get a lot of additional returns by buying T-bills, for example, and also you get less risk. Why is that? If you park money in a commercial bank anywhere above 250,000, which is the FDIC threshold in the US, your money is basically the liability of a US commercial bank. It's a non-secured commercial bank risk. There is nothing backing you up if the bank would go belly up. If instead you take that money above 250,000 and you buy a T-bill, you are running the risk of the government. Your money is not the liability of a bank anymore. It's the liability of the United States, which arguably is a better credit entity than a commercial bank, unsecured and backed by nothing, above 250000 So effectively, when you think about the soundness and the safety of your money, you should also think about whose liability is my money. And above 250000 you not only get a 4% plus return by buying T-bills and allocating in-money market funds, which are highly regulated and can invest only in treasuries, but also you get a safer form of money because you move your money to be from the liability of a commercial bank to the liability of the government of the United States. Why am I saying this? Because if investors would decide to take away some money from the banking system and instead allocating to treasuries, they would shrink the balance sheet of the banking system. They would take the deposit away. So that's the liability side of a bank. They would also shrink the asset side of a bank, which is bank reserves and bank reserves are money for banks. You should think of them as a lubricant of the financial system. Banks use bank reserves to settle transaction and provide liquidity to each other. Repo reverse repo transactions provide balance sheet and liquidity to market participants. And now, if investors would decide to allocate some of these deposits away from the banking system, take them away, shrink the balance sheet, shrink the reserves of the banking system to maybe buy treasuries with these bank deposits, reserves will be falling and they are already projected to fall very hard over the next few quarters because of two things. The treasury general account will be pumped up by 75 billion, which drains liquidity from the system. It's money idle that the government is parking back at the Federal Reserve and it's taken away from both the financial system and the real economy. And second, quantitative tightening is scheduled to run at 95 billion a month for the next foreseeable future and as quantitative tightening drains reserves from the system as well, the treasury general account increase, drains reserves from the system and a potential shift in investor's mindset, taking money away from banks, even marginally and buying treasuries with it also shrinks reserves and the, and the balance sheet of the banks from the system. This is all draining net liquidity out there. And that's really important. The only item that could short term fix all of this is if money was taken away from the reserve repo facility where it's locked and actually injected back into the financial system to offset this net liquidity drain. But now, how do you unlock money from the reserve repo? Well, there was a whisper that the U.S. Treasury would do a buyback plan and the buyback plan would greatly facilitate this process because the U.S. Treasuries would try, the U.S. Treasury Department would buy back some of their long dated bonds by issuing and funding this operation by issuing short term T-bills. Short-term T-bills are what money market funds can invest, which means they would take the money away from the reverse repo and buy the newly issued T-bills. So the buyback would be a great strategy to actually unlock this reverse repo from the system and take the reverse repo, uh, basically money use that to take the hit for the liquidity drains coming elsewhere. Basically unlock, unfreeze, this stuck liquidity in the system. But we just got an announcement that the U.S. Treasury buyback program is is getting postponed by at least three to six months, which means that we go back to the old pattern of Treasury general account increasing, net liquidity drain, quantitative tightening, net reserves drain as well, and a potential allocation shift from bank deposits to Treasuries or money market funds, which is, again, a drain in bank reserves, which means that bank reserves for the next three to six months are likely to keep falling very hard. And remember, the lower amount of reserves in the system, the more prudent banks will be. You are taking away money from banks. You're taking away that lubricant of the financial system. You're taking away the ability of banks to engage with each other to do repo transaction, reverse repo, facilitate market functioning. You are taking that away at a very rapid pace. The chart here below shows an example of what happens where you shrink bank reserves, that's the orange line coming down. The blue line is investment grade corporate spreads, but it's an inverted line. So if it goes down, it means those spreads are widening. Now, if there are less reserves in the system, more likely we can expect wider credit spreads, wider risk premia, more prudence from investors out there. And so summing all up, a reiterated hawkish stance from the Federal Reserve, plus net liquidity drains over the next three to six months will move us in the macro compass quadrant as the location model even more south. More south towards net tightening of monetary policy. The economic growth isn't accelerating either. We are on the left hand, which keeps us pretty deep into quadrant four. I want to close it uh, by, by reminding people that quadrant four is the most defensive quadrant of them all. It's a quadrant where you need to be defensive. You cannot be happy allocating in high risk asset classes, you need to be patient. And as my mentor always says, there is a time to be long, a time to be short, and a time to go fishing. Time to go fishing, meaning a time to be patient. So keeping a defensive allocation of long dollar cash remains the thing to do rather than getting sucked in in narratives that are feed by these bear market rallies, which are very, very psychological and difficult to handle. But the reality is that the macro conditions, the liquidity conditions, the central bank monetary policy stance are not favorable for risk assets at this stage. Before I let you go, guys, there is one uh, small hint that I want to give is that please mark your calendars. This video will be released as well next week, as always, every week here on, on Blockworks for the video uh, release of the macro compass article but next week november 10th mark your calendar because that's an email from the macro compass a video a podcast however you consume it that you really don't want to miss because there will be some major announcements thanks as always for listening and we'll talk next week